when we talk about Jesus, the principal reasons Jesus came, his main mission was not to help the poor. Jesus' reason for coming was not for social justice, to make sure everybody loved each other. Jesus didn't come for relationships. You heard that a lot. No, Jesus came for relationships. It's all about the relationship. Nah, you are doomed. You're on your way to destruction to die. And God said, if I don't come down as a baby in that manger, you will die. Welcome to the Followers of the Way podcast for December 30th, 2018. Today, Pastor Olu brings us a message called, The Great Creator Became My Savior. Now, Pastor Olu tells us the story of Jesus' birth, but not in the traditional sense. Pastor Olu brings to light that Jesus was born to be slaughtered so that our sins can be forgiven and we wouldn't have to die. So grab your Bible and follow along with us as we explore God's Word here on Followers of the Way. Turn with me in your Bibles to uh, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Start at verse 18. You know, uh, I'm excited about this message. When we look, when we look at the body of Christ, uh, from my point of view, it seems as though the body, just general the body of Christ, that we aren't doing a, a biblically responsible job, uh, a, a responsible job when it comes to representing the true meaning of Christians. And we hear it a lot. You know, we want to make sure we do the true meaning of Christmas or, or keep Christ in Christmas. Or I think a, a few years ago in, in politics on TV, you kept hearing things like, well, there's a war on Christmas. Or, or uh, uh, you know, and, and we say that uh, this is a time of the year that we celebrate the birth of Christ. and We celebrate the coming of Christ. Unfortunately, I think that uh, universally, when we look at the church, I think that we generally fall short. Uh, when it comes to looking at, quote unquote, the true meaning of Christmas and we reduce the celebration in this case to kind of a reasonable acknowledgement that a beautiful, wide eyed, chubby cheek, uh, bouncing baby boy showed up in Bethlehem one day uh, and then some shepherds came to see him and some people brought us some gifts or, or and then we go, well, 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 since God gave us this gift of love. We give our loved ones gifts and showing our love, and, it, and, it, and it's charming. But I think when, when, when you look at the scripture and what the scripture talks about when it talks about this time of Christ's coming and why he came, I think that we, and I say we again universally, I think that a biblically apathetic approach to Christmas, I think that flows naturally into a biblically apathetic approach to our responsibilities. Matter of fact, our dictated commands as followers of Christ or as disciples of Christ. And so I think that if we do not have a proper understanding of who came and why he came, I think that that would hinder us in having a proper understanding and actually properly doing what is biblically responsible. And so I want to take some time today and look and see how do the scriptures portray this Christmas story. And by Christmas story, I'm talking about the, the story of God, Christ actually coming, Jesus coming in Bethlehem. And so if we look at it from the scriptures and see how the scripture refers to the Christmas story, how the scripture portrays the Christmas story, to see if we as followers, as disciples of Christ, have the correct biblical approach. So let's look at Matthew uh, chapter 1, starting at verse 18, and we're going to get a couple of people to read through these portions of Scripture. Somebody read that. Matthew 1, 18. Somebody read verse 18. Somebody read verse 19. 
Um, and somebody read 20. And then somebody read 21. We get four people. Just whoever. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. All right, 19. And her husband Joseph, being just a man, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. All right, verse 20. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Mm. Verse 21. She will give birth to a son, and you shall name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Amen. And 22. Somebody read 22 for me. All this took place to fulfill, the, to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. And 23. Behold, the virgin shall convince and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Amen. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So the first part of the song, the great creator, what the Christmas story biblically is telling us, and by Christmas story, I'm talking about the birth of Christ, it's telling us that a virgin shall conceive, bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And Emmanuel means God with us. So the Christmas story is wrapped up around the fact that Jesus Christ is God. That God, Emmanuel, showed up. When we talk about God, we have to understand who we're talking about that was in that manger. When we talk about God showed up, we're talking about El Shaddai. We're talking about Jehovah. We're talking about Yahweh. We're talking about Jehovah Jireh. We're talking about Elohim. We're talking about El, all the L's. This is who was in the manger. And the angel came to Joseph and says that you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. I want to look at, turn with me to Exodus. I want to look at what happens when God shows up in the Bible. When God shows up in the Bible. Because what the Christmas story is telling me, the angel said, check it out. Emmanuel, God is here now. And so what happens when God shows up? Turn with me to Exodus. This is one of my favorite. I know I say that probably every other Sunday. But this is one of my favorite portions of scripture. Uh, Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19. The children of Israel just came out of Egypt. Uh, 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 and, and they came to this mountain, Mount Sinai. And God was going to show up. Exodus 19 Verse 9, Exodus 19, 9, and it says this, uh, where is it? 19, 9. And the Lord said to Moses, behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak to you and may also believe you forever. But Moses told the word to the people. The Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of the people. God said, listen, go get ready because I'm coming. All right. And I'm coming on top of this mountain. And you shall set limits for the people all around saying, take care, be careful. Do not go into the mountain. Don't even touch the edge of it. For whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch it, but he shall be stoned or shot with a beast or man, and he shall not live. Why? Because God is coming to the mountain. Yahweh is coming to the mountain. 
Uh, so Moses went down from the mountain and the people and consecrated the people and they washed their garments. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. On the morning of the third day, here we go, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled, trembled greatly. And as the sound of a trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. Picture this. Now, we don't have mountains out here in Florida. We got some hills in Groveland. But I don't know if you've ever been to a mountain. All right, we've been out west. We've been to mountains in Colorado. We've been on mountains. These things are ridiculously, stupidly huge. Like, you see it, and it don't make no sense. Like, okay, that's just too big. The Bible says that God showed up and he told him to be careful because I'm coming down and I'm descending on this mountain. And the Bible says he descended down and when he brought with him a violent storm, trumpet blast, earthquake, his voice of thunder. Have you ever heard thunder? Like for real, for real? You've been in the, in the, in the thunder storm? Or you be chilling all of a sudden you hear that boom? That boom that like rattles the whole house? That sets off car alarms? This is what was going on when God started speaking in front of this mountain. The whole mountain caught on fire. Like, think of a mountain on fire. This is when God showed up. This is the God who was sitting, laying in that manger. In Ezekiel, turn me to Ezekiel chapter 1. In Ezekiel chapter 1, the Bible says that Ezekiel was just chilling and God showed up. Ezekiel is right before Daniel. You might be familiar with the book of Daniel. In Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 4, as I looked, behold, a stormy wind came out the north. Here comes a storm again. A great cloud with brightness all around it and fire flashing forth continually. And in the midst of the fire, as it was gleaming metal. And from the midst of it came the likeness of four living creatures, and this was their appearance. They had a human likeness, but each had four faces, and each of them had four wings. Their legs were straight, the soles of their feet were like the sole of a calf's foot, and they sparkled like burnished bronze. Under their wings, on their four sides, they had like human hands, and the four had their faces and their wings thus. Their wings touched one another. Each of them went straight forth, turning as they went. As for their likeness of their faces, they each had a human face. The four had the face of a lion on the right side, and the four had the face of an ox on the left side, and the four had the face of an eagle. Such were their faces, and their wings were spread above. Each creature had two wings, each of which touched the wing of another while two covered their bodies. Each went straight forward. Wherever the spirit would go, they went without turning as they went. As for the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire, like the appearance of torches moving to and fro among the living creatures. And the fire was bright, and out of the fire went forth lightning. And the living creatures darted to and fro like the appearance of a flash of lightning. They were moving super fast. Now, as I looked at the living creatures, I saw a wheel on the earth beside the living creatures, one for each of the four of them. So we got four wheels. And for the appearance of the wheels in their construction, their appearance was like the gleaming of barrel. And the four had the same likeness in their appearance of construction, being as it were a wheel within a wheel. So we got a wheel in the middle of the wheel. When we, and when they went, it went in any and 
of their four directions without turning as they went. And their rims were tall and awesome. And the rims of all four were full of eyes. Think of a, a wheel with eyes all around the rim. And they were living creatures. Went The wheels went beside them. And the living creatures rose from the earth. And the wheels rose. Wherever the spirit wanted to go, they went. And the wheels went along with them. For the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. When those rose, they went, and when they stood, these stood, and when they rose from the earth, the wheels rose along with them, for the spirit of the living creature was in the wheel. Skip down to um, 24. And when it went, I heard the sound of their wings and the sound of many waters like the sound of the Almighty, a sound of tumult like the sound of an army. And they stood still, and they let down their wings, and there came a voice from the expanse over their heads, and when they stood still, they let down their wings. Skip down to verse... 27, and upward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw as it was gleaming metal like the appearance of fire enclosed all around. And downward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw and it appeared to be a fire and there was brightness all around him like the appearance of the bow that was in the cloud of the rainy day. So it was his appearance of the brightness all around, such the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face and I heard the voice of one speaking. Ezekiel was looking and he sees this four-headed, four beasts, four wheels in the middle of wheels with eyes all around it, bright like a rainbow, moving as fast as lightning. On top of this was a throne and he was set on the throne was the almighty God, the awesomeness, the power of God. This was the same God that the angel said, Emmanuel, God with us. Turn to Isaiah chapter 6 couple of books back. Somebody read verse uh, 1 through 6 for me. Isaiah 6, 1 through 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a high, lofty, on a high and lofty throne, mm. and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphim were standing above him. They each had six wings. With two, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they flew. And one called to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. His glory fills the whole earth. The foundations of the, wor- of the doorways shook at the sound of their voices, and the temple was filled with smoke. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and live among a people of unclean lips, and because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, and his hand was, and his hand was a glowing coal that he had taken from the altar with tongues. So Isaiah says, I looked up and I saw God. And he said it was so glorious that he was sitting high on the throne and his train, the robe that he was in, filled the entire temple. And around him with these seraphim screaming, holy, 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 just over and over again, holy, 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 holy. I want you to imagine these three instances of God showing up. When the angel came to Joseph and says, you will call his name Emmanuel because it means God is here. It's not just a baby with cute eyes and chubby cheeks. It's not some little baby that's wrapped up in swaddling clothes and lying in the little manger and you got the little sheep baying or baying around them. This is God. This all-powerful, majestic, awesome, incredible God who came. This is what we're celebrating. This is what, this is what Christmas is. We're celebrating God on earth. And what I like about it is when God showed up in each of those cases, 
When God shows up, our unholiness and our sin condition is magnified against his holiness. Notice in Exodus, what God told him, he said, listen, I'm coming to the mountain. I'm going to shake the mountain. Make sure you touch it. As a matter of fact, go tell them to wash their clothes and concentrate themselves. Concentrate themselves, concentrate themselves. That means to purify yourself. Get yourself clean. Why? Because you're about to stand in the presence of a holy God. When we stand in front of God's awesomeness and his holiness, what reflects on us is how unworthy and filthy and sinful we are. That's why when Isaiah saw God in the temple, what did he say? Woe is me. In Hebrew, there's no is. And so literally what he said was, woe me. <laughs> that word woe, that means I am in some distress. I am in the face, in the presence of the almighty God who sits upon the throne of a will in the middle of will with a four-headed, four-beast that moves like lightning left and right as fast as you want to go, who sets mountains on fire and he speaks with thunderbolts. This is who was laying in the manger. Turn to Psalms chapter 8. Emmanuel, God with us, my, the creator, became my savior. Psalm chapter 8 says, and I'm going to read it. I have the ESV, but I remember it so vividly in the King James. Oh, Lord, our, oh, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. That's King James. ESV says, oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. That word majesty means full of supreme authority and power. Excellent, glorious, noble. And then the writer goes in and he talks about how excellent the name of God is in light of creation. God spoke this into existence. This same God who spoke into existence. I was reading somewhere when you talk about our sun. You know, our sun is one of the smallest stars in the galaxy, in the universe. I'm sorry. But our sun produces about four million tons of matter into pure energy. That's about 90 billion megatons of energy every second. Now, if you take all the energy powers that build up energy on this planet Earth from every country and you put it together, it would give you about 60,000 megatons a year. That means that the sun in one second produces over a million years worth of energy for the Earth every second. And God said, let there be light. Just like that. And we have this powerful, of the smallest stars, powerful thing right here. Talk about the stars. They estimate, I think I was, I was reading, an astronomer estimated about 10 trillion galaxies in the universe. I said trillion. Galaxies to universe. If you multiply in, in our Milky Way, our galaxy, we got about 100 billion stars. And so if you multiply 100 billion stars by the 10 trillion galaxies, you get about one, watch me now, comma, 0000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000
Flip with me to Philippians. When you get to Philippians chapter 2, and Paul is talking to the church in Philippi, and he says, listen, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. When he gets down to that verse, Philippians 2 verse 5, I read it in the uh, 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 um, uh, ESV. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Well, what kind of mind is that? Who, talking about Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality God something to be hung on to. I'm just going to hang on to this. I'm not going to let it go. But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Why? Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And Jesus and Paul said, let this mind be in you. The mind that that almighty God who set a mountain on fire that sits on the throne of a wheel in the middle of a wheel with four four headed beasts that come into a temple and his whole fame uh, tra train fills the temple such that you have to say uh, holy, 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 holy. And he said, you know what? I'm going to take off this glory and I'm going to come down to earth for one purpose to die. That's what was in that manger. When we say away in a manger, no crib for a bed. The little Lord Jesus laid down his sweet head. That sweet head was the head of Yahweh, Elohim, Jehovah Jireh, the I am that I am. And so when we talk about the creator became a savior in this manger was the one who descended on Mount Sinai and engulfed it in fire. This was the one who spoke creation, the galaxies, and who knows, the Bible says, who knows the stars by name. This is who we're celebrating. The creator became my savior. Christ came for one purpose. God showed up, Emmanuel, God with us, for one purpose. The purpose was his primary mission, his primary purpose was found in, turn with me, and we're gonna look at a lot of this. First Timothy, get ready, Jaden. First Timothy 1.15. Somebody turn there. Somebody else turn to Hebrews 9.26. Somebody turn to Luke 1, verse 30 and 31. And then somebody turn to Matthew 1.21. Get ready to read those. Became my savior. The great creator became my savior. The reason he came for one purpose, we're going to see that. First Timothy, who got first Timothy? First Timothy 1.15. Go ahead, uh, okay. This is a faithful saying and mm. worthy of all acceptation mm -hmm. that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Why did Christ come? Why did Emmanuel come? He came to do one thing, to save sinners. Hebrews 9.26. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Mm, I like that. To put away sin, to remove it. Why did he appear? He appeared to remove sin by his own death as a sacrifice. Luke chapter 1, verse 30 and 31. Luke, everybody can turn there. We're going to be there for a hot second. Luke 1, 30 and 31. Now, this is the angel. I think we can say, looking at the scripture, the first chronological recording of the angel letting everybody know that now was the time for Jesus. Luke 1, 30. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus. The angel came and said, Listen, you shall call his name Jesus. Now, why? what's significant about that? Well, Jesus... 
In the Greek, Jesus is I-E-S-O-U-S, Eosis. That's from the Hebrew. It's translated from the Hebrew, which is Jeshua. Or they say kind of Yeshua. Yeshua. All right? Yeshua. Now, Yeshua is a smaller form, like a, not a nickname, but a, a contracted form of Yehoshua. Okay? Yehoshua. Okay? Which is kind of like Yahweh or Jeho. You heard that in there? Jehoshua. That means Yahweh is salvation. Okay? That's what the name means. When you shorten that, Jehoshua, to Yeshua, when you shorten that, it puts the emphasis on the verb. Hence, Yeshua, or Jesus, means he will certainly save. His name means he will certainly save. Certainly Saved. And so when we look at why did Jesus come, Paul said in Timothy, he came to save sinners. The writer of Hebrews, I'm going to say Paul, the writer of Hebrews said he came to remove sin. The angel came to Mary and said, you call his name Jesus. They knew that that meant that he will certainly save. Back to Matthew chapter 1 where we started at. Matthew 1, 21, the angel told Joseph, he said, well, he will save his people from their sins. And when we look at this word save, it's an interesting word. Uh, it's not like our English word save. Save in the Greek is sozo, S-O-Z-O. It means to rescue from danger or destruction or to rescue from some great peril. So sozo is a radical word. You don't, as I read this in a commentary, you don't sozo someone who just needs a little help. Okay, you see a old lady across the street, I'm going to go sozo this lady across the street. No, 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 no. That's somebody who needs a little help. You sozo someone who is doomed, someone who's unable to do anything to save themselves. Somebody lost their seat in the middle of water floating with sharks all around them. They can't do nothing. That person needs sozo. Somebody who just stopped breathing. Oh, man, they stopped breathing. Well, nothing we can do. That person needs sozo. And so when we look at what the angel told Mary, she said, listen, I'm sorry, but the angel told Joseph, he will say it, he will sozo his people from their sins. Why? Because his people, us people, mankind, are in a great peril. We need to be rescued. Why? Because we are doomed. In Psalms 130, when the angel's talking to Joseph in Matthew 1, it is a fulfillment of Psalms 130. When David is talking, he says that we need, as a people, we need to be saved from our iniquity. Psalms 130. I want to read this because I was so excited about this. This is date. Uh, 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 this is a, a, a psalm about forgiveness. Listen how it starts off. Psalm 130, verse one. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. Talking about somebody who just got caught up in some sin. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? He said, "Listen." God, if you up there with a pen and pad, marking down every time I sin, who, who, who could stand for that? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait, verse 5, for the Lord, my soul waits. And in his word, I hope, my soul waits for the Lord more than a watchman for the morning, more than a watchman for the morning. Watch this. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. I love that. And he will redeem Israel from his iniquities. This was in the Psalms. This was in the Old Testament. And when the angel showed to Joseph, he said, oh, yeah, you call it Emmanuel. Why? Because he will save his people, Israel, us people, mankind, from their iniquities, from their sins. 
I like when it says he came in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. It says, for the son of man, this is Jesus telling you why he came. The son of man came to seek and to save those who were lost. That word lost there means those who are in a state of utter ruin. It conveys a sense of utter destruction, utter ruin, eternal usefulness, and has been declared to be destroyed. Turn with Hebrews chapter 10. I want you to see who was laying in this manger. We saw that it was God himself, and we saw some attributes of God, but then we looked at why he came. You see, we celebrate that Jesus is coming. We celebrate the manger story. We celebrate the shepherds, but I think that as a universal church, we somehow are not, we don't put the emphasis on the right piece, why he showed up. Sure, it was a gift of God, and he loves us, yeah, but he came because we were doomed for destruction, and he came to sozo us from that. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 10, verse 5, Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, so we have an opportunity to look at a conversation between God the Son and God the Father. This is what Christ said when he came into the world. When he came into the world, Christmas, Emmanuel, God with us. Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. And burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, and it is written in me in the scroll of the book. Jesus said, was talking to the Father, and he said, listen, these sacrifices, these people are with these these, these lambs and these goats and going to the temple and sacrificing, that's not what you want. That's not what you're looking for. But what you're looking for, you have given me in a body. I am the one that's necessary to go down. And Jesus said, when he came into the world, here's my body. I'm ready to sacrifice it for you once and for all. You see, the Christmas story is a bloody story. Because we can celebrate that Jesus came, but it's not just that he came. Yeah, he's here. No, no, no. He came with a purpose. And his purpose, his intent, the mission, the reason he came was to die. He said, they call him the Lamb of God. John even said, behold, the Lamb of God. They knew in that culture what that means. In our culture, we see lambs. Like, oh, cute. Mary had a little lamb, little lamb, little lamb. No, 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 no. It was nothing cute when it came to lambs in this culture. Lamb meant die. Lamb means take the lamb, open up his neck, take a knife, slit his throat, blood's flying everywhere. That's what lamb meant. And so when Jesus came, they put him where they put the lambs. They wrapped him like they wrapped up lambs in swaddling clothes. Why? Because he was the lamb of God who came for one mission, to die. So when we celebrate Christmas, what we are celebrating, what our emphasis should be on, is that Jehovah, the I am that I am, showed up, and he showed up to die. The blood of Mary's baby flowing from his nail-pierced hands and feet and gushing from the spear-pierced side. This is what the Christmas story is, why he came. Not just that he came. When scriptures talk about Christ's coming, it always attaches three things to it. Notice, all those verses we read about Jesus coming, the reason why he came, it always attached three things to it. One, that mankind has a sin problem. Okay? First Timothy said he came to the world to save who? Sinners. Hebrews 9 says why? To remove sin by his own death. Luke 1, the angel said he called his name Jesus, which means he will certainly save. Matthew said he will save his people from their sins. 
So anytime somebody announced Jesus or talked about Jesus coming, it always brought along the idea that, hey, there's this problem. You have a problem, mankind, is sin. Whenever we looked at those scriptures, it also talked about that the result of that sin is that mankind is doomed. The uncannily holy, fiery anger of a holy and righteous and perfect God is upon mankind. Paul said in Romans that the wrath of God is upon you. Remember those cartoons? It's always the bad guy. He's got a cloud around him everywhere he went. That was old cartoons. They don't do that in new cartoons. But it's like a black cloud, and everywhere he went, like the cloud would follow him. The Bible says that the wrath of God, and think about the wrath of that God who set a mountain on fire, who's sitting on the throne of wheels and middles of wheels and four four-headed beasts, whose train filled the temple. He's angry at you. Oh, yeah. That's what the Christmas story is about, because God is angry at us because of his wrath, because we are utterly ruined and eternally useless and declared to be destroyed. Because of that, that is why Jesus came. And the third thing that anytime you see in all those scriptures we read, anytime you see talking about Jesus coming, you see that his primary purpose was to remove that sin. Angel said, call his name Jesus because he will certainly save. This is why Jesus came. This is what we're celebrating. The fact that Jehovah God showed up to die, to rescue me, you. So when we talk about this Christmas story, we will be doing ourselves a disfavor and we will be doing our friends and our family wrong if we don't attach what the scriptures attach when it talks about when Jesus showed up. The first announcement of Jesus' birth after his birth was by the angels in Luke chapter 2. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news and great joy that will be for all people. For unto you this day is born in the city of David a who? A savior. That's what the message was. It wasn't, hey, we got a new baby, go look at it. No, it was a savior is here. Why do I need saving? Oh, because the wrath of an almighty, all-powerful God is upon you, and you are eternally doomed to be useless and separated from God forever. So good news, I bring you good news and good tidings for all people. A Savior is here, and this will be a sign unto you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in the manger, and suddenly there was an angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest one on earth. What? Peace. See, peace means the war is over. Yes, there is a war. There's a conflict between us and God. We come into Kelly's house. Kelly's house is beautiful. It's also, I'm saying Kelly's house. I get it. It is Kelly's house. Kelly's house is beautiful. But you notice what you didn't see when you walked in Kelly's house. I didn't see any garbage. I didn't walk in and I didn't see banana peels in the corner. I didn't see a couple of garbage bags over here. Because, because Kelly wants to keep a clean house, what she does, there's a place, I'm sure, somewhere over there for garbage, right? Somewhere over there. You open it, you put the garbage in. Once it fills up, I'm assuming LOS takes it, wraps it up, locks it up, and puts it out of the house. Why? Because garbage and the house and the people in the house don't go together. They cannot coexist. So I can't walk in, Kelly walk in Kelly's house, and there's mountains and mountains of garbage bags and trash and broken eggs and filth and stank all over the place. Why? Because us, Kelly, and trash cannot coexist. The reason we have a problem is because that God is holy and he cannot coexist. He cannot interact with filth. And because we are doomed, because of our sin, we are filth. 
And so God has to treat us like Kelly treats trash in the house. It's got to be out of here. I can't be around it. What Jesus did, Emmanuel came down and he said, I'm going to take that trashy, filthy, stinking, wretched Olu. And I'm going to go out to that garbage pail. And I'm going to pick him up. And I'm going to bring him in my presence again. And I thank God for that. Because that's what this is about. The great creator became my savior. The most famous verse in the Bible, John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him should not what? Perish. There it is again. Whenever you see Jesus coming, it's always that message. Hey, you about to perish. Whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He will certainly save. The Bible says that salvation is a gift, kind of, because it's not like a gift like we think. We don't have any gifts under the tree. I'm sure there's some gifts somewhere in this house. They're over there. So we got some gifts. Los, can you give me one of those gifts, please? So, so we got some gifts. When we, when we talk about gifts, when we, when we in our culture, we talk about gifts, we, we look at it like, okay, oh, thank you so much. Look, I got this nice, precious gift. And so what has happened, I think, in the body of Christ, when we talk about salvation being a gift, we look at it kind of like this. Like, here you go. Here's a gift. And it's like, oh, I'm excited. I got a gift. That's not what the Bible says when it's talking about gifts. When the Bible says gift, in Romans chapter 5, Paul says that the gift is not like the offense. That word gift is charis or grace. The word in the Bible, when it says gifts, it's talking about something given that you don't deserve. That's all it is. It's not wrapped up in a bow and it's like, here, take it if you want to. Oh, I want to take it. Oh, I don't want it. It was like, have you received the gift of Christ? You know, God is standing there, hands out with the gift. You can take it if you want. Not quite. It's not quite like that. Even in Ephesians chapter 2, when Paul says that, uh, for by grace you saved through faith is the gift of God, that word gift means that it is given cost-free. That's all that means. So when we say gift, that means it's free. And it means that there's nothing you can do to earn it. That's what the Bible means by gift. It doesn't mean that it's wrapped in a nice bowl and it's sitting there for you. All you got to do is take salvation and you will be saved. Got nothing to do with that. When we look at gift in the Bible, it literally means that, oh, by the way, this saving, this sozo that you need because you're utterly ruined, it's nothing you can do to get it. So if you mean gift like you are Go with me now. You're decaying on the inside with some terminal disease that's sucking the life out of you. Okay? You got that? Now, while you're doing that, you're also stranded, wandering in the Mojave Desert out in the middle of California for the past 10 days with no water, no food. You're also surrounded by a pack of wild coyotes who are rab and rabbit wolves who currently have your flesh in their mouth as they're slowly ripping you to shreds piece by piece with a swarm of vultures around your head circling and occasionally coming down and picking you in the eyes. You're wandering around an old abandoned army radiation test site where the H-bomb, atomic bomb, and the latest of nuclear bombs were just tested about a week ago. But through the radiant heat, 
and the residue of the mushroom cloud comes a military-grade, radiation-proof, fully medical stop multi-terrain vehicle with water and food and medicine and the cure for what you got. And the door opens, and they say, hey, get in. And you say, well, I ain't got no money. And they say, get in. And you say, well, I can't pay you back. And they say, get in. If you mean gift like that, then you're right. Because that is the state of where we are, where we were before we were so When we talk about Jesus, the principal reasons Jesus came, his main mission was not to help the poor. Jesus' reason for coming was not for social justice, to make sure everybody loved each other. Jesus didn't come for relationships. You heard that a lot. No, Jesus came for relationships. It's all about the relationship. Nah, you are doomed. You are on your way to destruction to die. And God said, if I don't come down as a baby in that manger, you will die. He didn't come to show us how to live. Oh, Jesus' main purpose was to show us how to live. No, 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 no. And so when we talk about Jesus to people, our friends, our families, our coworkers, our, our, all the people, we have to make sure that we are doing due diligence when we talk about this season, this Christmas season. We're here to celebrate Jesus, the coming of Christ. Jesus is here, yeah. How does the Bible say we do it? The Bible says you have to understand that the great creator, Yahweh, Emmanuel, is here, and he came to die. God came to be slaughtered for mankind. He came to appease or to remove that holy, fiery anger of a holy, righteous, and perfect God who can't coexist with filth. Mankind who was helpless, hopeless, and doomed for destruction in their sin. We were alienated from God under his righteous judgment and unable to free ourselves. So God, Yahweh, came. I like the Bible says that he is mighty to save. Our responsibility is to believe. And that's what we have to tell our friends. That's what evangelism is. You see, our family members who aren't saved, it's not like, oh, they just, you know, you know, my family, they're crazy. No, they are doomed to destruction and will burn in hell. That's, what, that's, that's what's going to happen if you don't say nothing to them. If we don't tell them that, hey, Messiah, Jehovah came so that you wouldn't have to die. That's what we're supposed to do. And so when we don't do that, we're pretty much saying, hey, uncle, aunt, sister, grandma, friend, family, sucks for you. You're going to hell. When the last time you told somebody? When the last time you made it clear to somebody, hey, I just want you to know that you are on your way to being destroyed in destruction and for great peril. And if you do not believe or put your trust in Jesus Christ, you will end up dead and burning in hell for the rest of eternity. Oh, I, I tell them with my, by the way I live. I witness how I, you know, they, they, the angel came and said, listen, I'm here to tell you that Emmanuel is here and he will save his people from their sins. Our responsibility as the body of Christ is to do that. This is what we're commanded to declare. You hear that song? Go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus, one who is mighty to save, one who will certainly save, is here. And he came to die. It's a celebration. It is. The angel said, I bring you good tidings of great joy. And matter of fact, after that, it says that a host showed up with him. Praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. On an earth, peace, goodwill to all men. It's an exciting time. It's a celebratory time. But we need to make sure as a body of Christ that we are celebrating the right things that we need to be celebrating. And that we are out here telling the world that Jesus Christ is here. 
and that you can be saved from your sins. Father, we love you, God. We thank you for what you did for us on Calvary, God. We thank you for taking on that body and sacrificing your body for us, God. We thank you for that you didn't send an angel, you didn't send a seraphim or cherubim, but you yourself, I am that I am, allowed himself to be put on a cross by men that you created, on wood that you created, on a hill that you created, on the earth that you created, put in a tomb that you created and rose again, God. I pray, God, that as we as a body of Christ, God, that we will never take for granted what you did for us. And that as this season comes every time once a year and we take time out to celebrate you being born, God, that we really understand fully what it means when it says Emmanuel, God with us. And that you came to die and that you came to give us an opportunity to coexist with you forever. I pray, God, that we will be equipped to go out into this Babylon that we're in, God, as world engines, and not just be your hands and your feet, but to be your mouth, God, and tell people that they're on their way to destruction and tell them that you will certainly save. We thank you for this time, God. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Followers of the Way podcast. If you like more information about Followers of the Way Church, visit our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash FOTW Church. Again, that's www.facebook.com forward slash FOTW Church. We trust and hope that you've enjoyed hearing God's word and how to apply it to our lives. Our podcast is updated weekly, so remember to follow us here at Followers of the Way.